Surah Najm, Najm means collection of a group of stars or stars in general. It could also mean a specific star. So the star or the stars have a significant role in the celestial world, in the cosmos. Allah says, that they seek guidance, gain guidance through the stars to navigate. Yeah, at night, if you know the position of the stars, where the stars will eventually fall uh, at the time of dawn, then you get a sense of which direction you're going and how you're going to plan your travel for the next day. Right, so you've all heard of the North Star, which is a focal point in, uh, in the heavens. And everybody has used uh, the stars to seek guidance and to find their destination as part of the cosmos. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created landmarks on earth by which people guide themselves. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created stars in the heavens so that human beings can guide themselves in the night when it's dark. And as you know, the stars are organized, they're arranged, they're not haphazard, they're not just randomly, you know, studied against the, the, the very black or dark skies. They have, every star has a, a purpose, every star is placed exactly where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to place it. So this supreme organization, supreme sophistication for the amateur onlooker is just beautiful. But for the one who is now uh, in, in, in guidance, they know that these stars actually have shapes and forms and uh, they, they do influence and impact the world. Uh, there's no doubt in that, except that the Sharia says you mustn't go there. Uh, it will lead to shirk and so on. So that's why we don't go there. But there definitely is an impact. There definitely is an influence on uh, not just the planet, but also human beings. But since the science is, 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 is kind of, what do you call it, not really identified or determined. The as Muslims don't go there, they say we follow Wahi, which is the point of the Surah. No? Yeah, so Surah means that the, the, the star is a point of guidance, but since it's not conclusive enough for leading us to Allah, we don't follow the stars, and we follow Wahi. That's the general theme 
of the surah, the general theme of the surah is that knowledge has to be khatai, knowledge has to be yaqini, knowledge has to be, uh, what do you call it, conclusive in order for you to say this is knowledge. Inconclusive knowledge is inconclusive knowledge, is not, what do you call it, khatai, uh, so we don't make it into an aqidah. So, so this is the whole point of the conversation, that there is an empirical knowledge, and there is knowledge which is beyond empiricism, and there is knowledge which is rational, and there is knowledge which is uh, supra-rational. So here the surah comes at a time when the Prophet is uh, discussing the valley of wahi, and uh, claiming that he is someone who receives knowledge from the other world, and uh, therefore that people should respect him and his knowledge and follow him and follow his knowledge. So there's a lot of uh, fodder, intellectual fodder in the surah. If you care to read it, uh, understand it and reflect upon it. So if you want to create an intellectual paradigm for Muslim civilization, Surah Najm would be the place you would start. When Naj Najm, um, as it falls, when Najm ida hawa, by the star, as it falls, meaning that by nature and by definition, it's always falling somewhere where fala uqsimu bimawaqin nujum. The Quran says that I, I, I swear by the places where the stars fall, mawaqir, waqar. So that they, they, they uh, land somewhere every day. Uh, so anyway, those who study astronomy will know uh, this kind of phenomenon. But there's a, you know, an idea in the word hawa. Hawa yahwi means to fall, to fall uh, based on your uh, destination. There's an element of falling. And that element of falling, does it pause an imbalance? Uh, uh, does it cause any doubt in the minds of the observer? No, it doesn't. In fact, it guides you. Although it's falling, it's still guiding you in the desert and sea and uh, so on. So this is how the, the, the stage is set for the whole discussion by saying, just look at the system of the stars and the stars, they're always moving. And despite that moving, you're able to navigate, you're able to see where you're going, uh, etc. That your companion here, this uh, uh, addressing the Quraysh, your companion, meaning Muhammad that he's been with you his whole life. Nothing is, um, what do you call it, unknown about him. You know him, you know, where he's born, who is who he's born to, you know his parents, you know his grandparents, you know his you know, tribe, you know his whole life, you know his youth, you know his adolescence, you know everything about him. So he's your sahib, he's your companion, he's not alien to you. You're very familiar with him and he's familiar with you, so there should be no reason why you are alienated himself yourselves from him now simply because he's making a claim. So you don't treat people you know this way. Uh, people with whom you have familiarity, 
they should be respected and at least uh, heard. So your, your companion here is not lost. Nor is he away from the truth, nor has he strayed away from the, the truth. Bolla is when you are lost on the path, and Rava means you're taking the wrong path. Bolla is when you're lost on the path, you don't know where it is you're going. And Rava is when you take the wrong path. So there's a subtle difference between the two words. And Allah subhanahu wa is saying that by the stars, when they fall, you know your sahib is part of you, part of your culture. He is not lost. He's not somebody who's wayward, moving this way and that way without any purpose, without any destination. That's as far as uh, his behavior. As far as um, how he talks, he does not speak out of his whim and out of any simple impulse, out of any simple desire. So again, we have the word hawa. Natakh, nutukh, all of that has to do with rational thinking rational speaking. As we say, the Quran uses the word for a rational language. says, we have been taught the language of the birds, so that where there is a systematic language of the birds, coded language, and they have the ability to communicate in a very organized way. So that's what Islam says, Allah gave us the knowledge of how the birds communicate and their system. So likewise here, Yantiku is not just Yatakallamu, it's not speaking. It is speaking rationally, meaning your sahib, your companion, he's a rational human being, and he does not talk when he's talking simply out of whim and desire and false impulse. Yeah. Hawa, again, from the other word Hawa, which means to fall, uh, there's also a sense of nafs in the word hawa. As you know, those who know Arabic, we say we use the word hawa when uh, the nafs comes in and plays a role in your action. And so, in that, he, he, he by, by definition, he doesn't use his desire to formulate any word or any sentence or any paragraph. It's done in such a way that it, it kind of you know, shows that he has knowledge beyond you. So whatever he does communicate is merely wahi. That is given to him, revealed to him. He is inspired by a higher order. So you can be inspired by your five senses, you can be inspired by your akhal, intelligence, and you can be inspired by other means. So the other means is where he receives his knowledge from. Those are actually real means. They do exist, and some people are privy uh, to that, you know, means of knowledge, which we call wahi. So it is a human construct. It's within the realm of uh, human be beings to receive wahi. 
if one human being receives wahid and then the whole species is out you can say human beings are capable of receiving wahid and so on and obviously there are remnants of that residual wahid is always there in every human being's life if you want to call it residual like true dreams like the prophet said definitely residual wahid and you see that the remnants of wahid are in true dreams uh, experiences life experiences and then sometimes you just get impulses uh, uh, kind of you know feelings of that but since those are not coded and uh, qualified and quantified we don't treat them as wahid wahid is a means by which Allah communicates to his servants and that is now the discussion at hand here right. so now the idea is that every human being needs guidance so the means of guidance are all over the cosmos so you have guidance on earth through geographic landmarks you have guidance through the celestial beings okay through the moon the sun the stars and then there's another form of guidance uh, which allah subhanahu ta'ala gives to certain human beings and then the means by which he guides that human being is also quite a phenomenon and that will be the angels that allah subhanahu ta'ala uses as agents of communication the primary agent is the jibreel the Quraysh were not too familiar with the idea of Jibreel. They knew about it. They knew of, of him. They were more familiar uh, through the Jews with uh, Mikail and Israfil. They weren't too knowledgeable about Jibreel. So the Quran comes and, and then tells them who this being is. An agent of Wahi. So Jibreel is an agent of Wahi. And the agent of Wahi requires that he has certain qualities and attributes that are normal for messengers so what is a messenger delivers the message that he is supposed to deliver with integrity honesty a messenger cannot be dishonest and messenger cannot have any kind of flaw in him and a messenger needs tremendous abilities authority and here power so there's physical meaning visible power there's nothing physical magically it's just all nur uh, and there's also that integrity so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the qualities of a messenger just as the prophet who is a messenger as he receives wahid jibreel is a messenger as he receives and transmits wahid but there's a formula there and the formula is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing here yeah. so the one who teaches the prophet he is strong very very strong immensely strong right? that he's not some weak being that you can just blow up in the air and he will just you know scatter and run away tremendously powerful yeah, his power and might he himself says that i took the whole town of sodom and gomorrah on one wing and i took it to the heavens and then i threw the whole village back down 
and that's the immense power and might of Jibreel so don't assume he is a weak being since knowledge requires immense mental abilities and stability and stamina this is what is implied here that he has immense intellectual abilities and stamina meaning the knowledge he has is yeah, you would need a million supercomputers to compute the knowledge of Jibreel, or maybe even more. Allah, meaning that it is beyond computation. That his faculties and his abilities are very severe. That they, they will not be, you will not be able to, to, to relate to his uh, intellectual abilities because uh, he he's receiving his knowledge from Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, directly. That knowledge he is transferring and transmitting to the Prophet So the knowledge that the Prophet receives is from a very different dimension than what you are used to. So this is supra-human and supra-rational. And knowledge that comes from that realm is going to be, obviously, a miracle. It's going to be a mojizam. It is not within the realm of human being perception to receive why it is a uh, abnormality is an anomaly is sometimes very paradoxical and so on so when a human being now you, you you're talking to the Quraysh you're talking to the Quraysh the Quraysh are people proud people uh, they are rulers and they, they govern and they manage uh, people they manage the Kaaba they manage the economy of the whole Jazeera and they're proud and they're proud of their language they're proud of their ability to compose poetry extempore so they're proud of their artistic ability and they're proud of their political abilities they're proud people and this one whom they know as an orphan unlettered is now taking them to task and he's now bringing down verses, ayat, from the Qur'an, and simply, they're dumbfounded. That where did he learn all this? So they could not fathom the idea that someone who is unlettered, someone who's never read or written poetry, uh, has now the ability to inform us of knowledge that we don't have access to, which obviously breaks the camel's back that we have no power left in front of the Muhammad because he is just so knowledgeable. And we can't compete with his knowledge, we can't compete with his articulation, we can't compete with his ability to demonstrate that his knowledge is far superior than ours. And then not only that, he's using you know, natural ayat of Allah like the star and the sun, Mashams, and all of those ayat that make take qasam from Allah's creation. And he's always he's also swearing by the horses, So he's using all the tangible objects that are tactile and they're within our reach. We see them, we observe them, we feel them, we benefit from them, and then he's now using those objects against us. You say, you don't know what it is you're looking at. You can't even observe what's in front of you. And you don't know how to relate one with the other. 
So now the wahi comes, as, as, as all of you are misguided, and you're lost because you don't have the ability to acquire knowledge at this level. So that was what broke the camel's back. The intellectual ability of the Prophet وسلم, is what, you know, propelled him uh, to be successful in his mission. So the, the surah is incredible in establishing power and authority through the idea of wahi. That wahi is accessible to certain human beings through Allah's fadl, not because they have their own abilities, but because Allah wants them to take on this message and to deliver the message. So the messenger also has tremendous abilities that are beyond you, their spiritual abilities. And as you see here, that he is very, very strong. An angel of tremendous strength and judicious abilities and so on. First, then he rested himself he pivoted himself on the horizon. This uh, introductory part of the surah refers to the Prophet وسلم, seeing Jibreel. So one occasion was in the beginning of his Nabuwa, and uh, there are many riwayat to that effect. We won't mention all of them. But the Prophet وسلم, saw Jibreel uh, exposing himself, his true being on the horizon with uh, 600 rings and when you have 600 rings how are you going to balance <laughs> how are you going to purge yourself i mean that a bird when it lands it finds a place where it, it perches itself because it, it, it can fly it has wings and so on right so angels are in a similar way they have wings so if you have wings how, how do you land you can fly with the wings but how do you land Pastawa means that he was able to balance himself with all the power of 600 rings, which is huge. If you get a huge, mashallah, jumbo jet with uh, three decks, on, it's very difficult to land the plane. So imagine 600 rings, and all 600 rings, they cover the whole horizon. Can you imagine the power required to land such a bird? Pastawa. Perched perfectly, there's no wave, there's no ripple, and he knows exactly. So, this is the might and power of Jibreel. That with this might and power, uh, the wings are there because the, the, the wings are where the knowledge is stored. Yeah, anyway. So, here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that let's let, let get this straight. That this is about knowledge, najm, and this is about which knowledge is superior. So you have empirical knowledge, you have knowledge through the senses, you have knowledge through the akhl, but we have another source of knowledge that we give to some very special human beings. And those special human beings have the ability to be with Jibreel. So the ability to receive this knowledge, which is all power and energy, makes them superhuman beings. Uh, meaning that the weight of wahi, we all know, 
the Prophet ﷺ, and he would receive wahi, very weighty. And if he was on a camel that could carry 70 loads, the camel would have to sit down. Meaning it, it was not possible for the camel to you know, bear the burden of wahi. So this one human being now uh, must be transformed uh, by another being who is Jibreel. And then Jibreel transforms and transfers his power into the Prophet which is not just physical, but also intellectual. Yeah. So the transferring of intellectual power, which is nur, and knowledge is now a process that the Prophet goes through. And he went through, as we know, in Hira, that he embraced him three times, which basically means the transferring of his energy into the Prophet body, mind, whatever it is. Yeah, so this is how it is. As he was now on the highest horizon. You might say that if, 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 if you see some minutes, you know, on the horizon, you may not perceive everything because there will be a place where your vision and your sight will cut off. You can't go any further than that. But here Allah is saying, no, he saw all of him. The highest horizon. He saw all of Jibreel, meaning his vision expanded so much that it is beyond, you know, the normal vision of any human being. So now this is where you see the the prophets. Their senses are heightened through wahi. They hear more. They see more. And so, meaning their physical abilities also expand through wahi. The prophets are somewhere. In Medina, when he came, he passed by two graves, and he said that these two are being punished. Now, the question is, how does the Prophet know? It's because he hears the punishment. How do you hear punishment? It's in the other world. It's in the Barzakh. Yeah, so the perception of a Nabi is heightened tremendously through Wahi, physically. His physical senses are heightened. As he said to the Sahaba, I see behind me when I'm praying. I see you behind me when I'm praying. Which means what? The physical expansion of his now seeing. And here you have the physical expansion of his hearing. So he sees and hears much more than you see and you hear because of this nur uh, that Jibreel Islam is uh, transferring into the Prophet so that you have to establish that he's not an ordinary human being. He is a Nabi, he is a Rasul, and he carries the burden of Wahi so that he may deliver it and so on. So he is as, as huge as the star is. But is, is the star huge or is it just a dot? What is it? From here is just a dot. <laughs> if you go there, if you believe the scientists, you probably burn. That's if you believe that. But no, it doesn't matter. But it's huge. How does this huge thing now travel in the universe? Even though it's falling. And how, how come it's organized? And how come it's systemic? And how come it's uh, you know, traveling in an orbit? It's not haphazard. It travels with a purpose. It knows its destination. So this huge, huge celestial being 
in the sky, which is you know, a million times larger than what we know of as the Earth. How, how, where is the power energy? That's Allah's creation. Scientists will have their opinion, but we know this is Allah's creation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created for the Quraysh objects in the sky that show them that Allah is able to control everything he creates, no matter how huge it is. Then on top of that hugeness, he creates another being out of pure nur who also travels, and he travels with 600 wings, and there's no problem. He doesn't shake, and he's never out of balance. And then on top of that, Allah gives this being, Jibreel, immense knowledge. Knowledge of uh, whatever exists, and beyond that knowledge of Jannah, knowledge of Jannah. So you, you, you have to you know, draw an analogy from the star to Jibreel. The stars, and they know that, they know that, they know that, Although they're, they're very intelligent people, they know the star is not just a spot, um, a speck in the, in, the, in the canopy of the sky. It's huge. Um, so now you say, okay, there's something larger than the star, and something more powerful than the star, and there's something that's better guided than the star, and that is Jibreel, and something where, you know, Jibreel has uh, a khal, he has intelligence, he knows how to talk or speak, he knows how to deliver the message, but he has authority and he has uh, integrity, he has honesty, he has clarity. And so this is the being who is now speaking to Muhammad sallam, through the process we call wahi. Yeah. So this now, this is how the discussion starts with the Quraysh. So you have knowledge, you have power, okay, but it's severely limited and it's temporary, it's not permanent. We have other beings who are much more powerful than you are, much more knowledgeable than you are, much, who have much more authority yeah, than you have. Muta'in, yeah. Allah says about Jibreel, Muta'in, Thamma, Thumma Amin. That he is followed, he is obeyed in the heavens, Jibreel. And then on top of that, he is trustworthy. So now you see the, 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 the attributes of a messenger. Number one, he needs to be powerful. Number two, he needs to have integrity. And number three, he needs to be honest and trustworthy. These are the same sifat that the prophets carry. Okay, all prophets, they have strength. As I said, their physical sensitivities and abilities are heightened. All prophets have integrity and all prophets are honest. And they have amana, they are trustworthy and so on. So now you see that one mirrors the other. Except this one is a human being and this one is not a human being. And when you have that, then the prophet sallallahu He's not going to be speaking simply on, um, you know, a whim. He's going to be speaking because Allah is guiding him through Jibreel, the source of uh, Wahi for the Prophet.
ثم دنا فتدلى فكان خاب أوس قوسين أو أدنى فأوحى إلى عبده ما أوحى ما كذب الفؤاد ما رأى This is still here in the dunya. Surah Najm speaks of the Mi'raj also later on. And it also speaks of the Prophet seeing things here on earth. This is his vision on earth. This is experience on earth. There's another experience later on in the Surah that talks about the experience of Mi'raj. Okay? So meaning that people unfortunately assume that the Isra Mi'raj ayah is in Surah Bani Israel. Subhanallah, that ayah. And they fail sometimes to see the ayah of Miraj. This is where the ayah of Miraj occurs. So you, you must get your aqidah right. Okay. That ayah is for the, uh, you know, the earthly journey from Masjid Haram to Masjid Al-Azim. And there were signs then. And this is now a prelude to the Miraj part of the Prophet's journey, the same journey. So this is the heavenly part. This now what he does that he, he drew closer then he lowered himself. So as you're drawing closer to the Prophet's physical being, this happened here, as I said, in, in, in the dunya, in Hira or another place that the Sahaba also mentioned. So as you draw closer, then you come down a step meaning to the level of the Prophet's physical body. So you come close and then you lower yourself. The Tadalla. So in that sense, the Tadalli is now the Jibreel coming down to the level of the Prophet's both physically and intellectually. So that, that's how you see this ayah, that this is what happened. And then there was exchange, obviously. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and they drew, he drew near to the Prophet ﷺ until he was two bow lengths away. Khos is uh, the bow. Yeah. So meaning the Arabs would use this expression to show proximity in understanding, proximity in negotiation, and proximity in getting a deal, making a deal. So Kisma Jibril Islam now lowered himself so that the Prophet would be able to receive the wahi that Jibreel wanted to deliver. Oh, other now, perhaps even closer. Yeah. A little bit of separation is needed between uh, teacher and student. They ca you can't always be on the same wavelength as the teacher, even if you're smarter than the teacher, you have to lower yourself just a, just a little bit and leave room for the teachers to say, you know, be quiet. That is the other, that's from this ayah. You can't be smarter than the teacher, even though he may, may, may be mistake, making a mistake. Allah says that they were close, but there was a slight separation to show the difference in the maqam between the two, in the status between the two, and so on. So that's honoring your source of knowledge now becomes a Muslim civilizational value. You can't be on the same platform. That's why I dislike the whole idea of an auditorium where the speaker is down there and all the listeners are up there. And that is not an Islamic concept, this auditorium. Everybody loves auditoriums, but Islamically it is against the other of learning and teaching. You cannot be higher than the teacher. 
even physically, you should not be higher, pushed higher than the teacher. Anyway, just in case, uh, this comes up somewhere. <laughs> but, again, we're not in favor of that construct and that value, because then the obvious, and it shows in the culture, yeah. The teachers, you know, so, so the, the student will say, hey, hey Jack, what does this mean? What is this culture? Hey, Jack, he's teaching you for God's sake. Why are you calling him Jack? As in the parenting and grandparenting. The kids here call their grandparents by their first name. Hey, John. That's not a civil, Muslim civilization. But it may be some other civilization, but it's not ours. So you have to be respectful in the physical form also that everything is based on adab. So there's a sense of adab here in this ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they, 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 they were close, but they weren't that close. There was a separation to show that there is a teacher and there is a, what do you call it, student. Now, later on in the hadith of Jibra'il, ironically, coincidentally, Jibra'il came came and he then touched the Prophet Sallallahu knee, Mubarak. Okay, so now that distance was now closed because the Prophet Sallallahu at this stage is now higher than Jibreel. Right? Yeah. So these are ideas that uh, you must appreciate. The value of how the, the adab comes from understanding the hadith. We read the hadith, we don't read the hadith. Anyway. So Jibreel now is now going to give wahi to his servant, meaning the Prophet Sallallahu whatever he gave wahi to. So the, the transferring of knowledge was whatever it was. It was just something of a mojiza, a miracle, and the Prophet Sallallahu now uh, receive the ability to receive any and all wahi. That is what this word wahi means. Ma oha, ma, for those of you who know a little bit of Arabic, is am, whatever. Whatever wahi was given, was given to the servant, meaning Muhammad received anything and everything Jibreel gave him, meaning he was the perfect receptacle. He was uh, He was perfect in his receiving the knowledge from Jibreel, which obviously was transmitted uh, over time throughout the Prophet And then the heart here, they did not deny what it saw. So as you have your, sen your senses, are heightened, your inner being is also transformed and heightened. So you have this inner faculties that the Quran terms here as fuad, the heart. And the heart is the inner faculty that obviously we see with our eyes and the, 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 the mind of the aql processes it. So there's no doubt in that. So we're not we're not talking about the well, physiology here. We're talking about another realm. So now since the Prophet has is now in a different realm he can now see with his other eye, the eye of the heart, which is called the third eye, which is what the Fuad is referring to. 
He sees with that eye whatever he sees. He will not lie or be light. He will not reject it. So if he sees that there are angels there in the heavens, then he will not say he didn't see an angel. He will transmit it with a manner, with integrity and with honesty that I will own, I will convey everything I hear and everything I see. And it doesn't matter whether people acknowledge it or they don't acknowledge it. The way that reality is. So this is now the spiritual side of the Prophet uh, responding to Jibreel's teaching. And so this is how teaching of that type is done. That you, you will never speculate about what you observe. Your ob observation is pure and it is always a hundred percent correct and accurate. There will be no discrepancy in what you transmit once you have observed a reality, a haqiqah. It will not belie, it will not refuse, it will not reject, it will not deny what has been observed. And what has been observed is the truth, and what has been relayed is also the truth. So there is complete transparency. Nothing is hidden. When the Prophet receives wahi, all wahi is transmitted uh, in some way, shape, or form. We don't hide this type of knowledge. The Prophet is not allowed to hide wahi. That's not the way wahi works. He's a Nabi because he is uh, responsible to transmit everything he knows. Everything. And that's what the Prophet did over 20, 23 years in uh, Makkah and Medina. That he transmitted everything that the Prophet that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now conveyed to him and showed him and so on. So this is now the, the, the inner eye is your inner faculties. Then the, the, obviously in inner faculties you have some uh, you know physiological abilities like memory and retention, imagination, all of that. But beyond that, there's another power, the power to receive what he from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once you receive, then since your horizon of perceptibility is now broadened beyond our imagination, then the Prophet will say things and deliver things that are beyond our imaginations. I mean, just this, the idea that uh, there's an angel there that has 600 wings. Who can conceive of this? Has any poet ever said that there's an angel that has 600 wings? Anyone have that level of imagination that they can actually what do you call it, represent reality in such simple words? As all prophets have the ability to do this. So anyway, so you see that this is about, Najm is about knowledge, knowledge that comes to human beings and knowledge that guides human beings. Uh, in a celestial sense, and uh, wahi is knowledge that guides human beings through another realm, through another dimension. That's the dimension of prophethood. Are you going to now argue about what he sees or what he will see? And so, so if you say that this has to do with the past, what's how he sees Jibreel with 600 wings? Or it may be in reference to what he will see in Miraj. Either way. So now, here, 
the, the discussion comes to its climax. We have now established that there are signs of Allah that are very apparent in this physical world and the Nabi is able to see these signs through his physical eyes and also his spiritual faculties. And he's going to relate that observation to you. So even before Miraj, you are already in a zone where you will know what Allah has in this world in, on earth. There are signs there that uh, Allah Taala shows to the Prophet وسلم, because in the Isra ayah, the one in Subhanallah, the ayah finishes with لِنُرِيَهُ min ayatina so that we may show him our signs, but those signs are from Makkah to Jerusalem. Those signs are not heavenly, they're earthly signs. What are those earthly signs? The ulama have written those earthly signs, which you can look up in the books of Sirah. I've explained those many times in MSI talks. If you get a recording of those, I've explained those signs. But the earthly signs, there were signs of the process we saw from Mecca to Jerusalem that were a mojiza, not just in the heavens. This is by the heavens. But those signs are earthly, meaning that there are some signs on earth that only prophets can see. And that's how you see that Allah has created so many different signs. This is how we show Ibrahim the uh, you know the, the kingdom of the heavens and the earth so what's what's the you know the malakut what are the special signs in the the, the Arab on earth you need a prophetic mind to be able to actually see that observe it and then draw conclusions uh, from it and tonight this is the first part of this uh, discussion uh, we'll do the second part soon afterwards hopefully next week so basically, to, 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 to summarize, this has to do with understanding knowledge. The surah has to do with understanding knowledge. So the first premise of knowledge in Islam is that knowledge has to be yaqini, it has to be conclusive, it has to be qatai. When we say, Rabbi zidni ilma, he said, give me knowledge that is conclusive, not inconclusive, not speculative, okay? So whatever you learn in terms of secular knowledge, all of it, most of it, is uh, inconclusive. But through that knowledge, you're able to function on the planet. You don't dismiss it. Just because something is speculative doesn't mean that you dismiss it. You can use it. There's function there, and there's a benefit in that. But it's not yaqeen. It's not certainty. Knowledge that is certain is from wahi. Knowledge that is certain is aqidah. That's why aqidah is a knot. You can't untie it. Yeah, it's certain knowledge. Wahi gives the Nabi certain knowledge which covers every realm of existence. Not just this world, the mundane world, not just the celestial world, not just the cosmos, not just whatever else is beyond there, and not just Jannah and Jahannam, but also all the knowledge that you know that you need to know in terms of being able to worship Allah, his names, his attributes, and everything else. So this is what Wahi covers. Okay, so Wahi covers the, all the areas of knowledge. All of them. Okay? So that's how we see. 
that uh, and it's done in such a unique way they said look at the star and look at the stars they're accessible to you these stars as they're falling they give you knowledge whereas wahi as you receive wahi you're you're going upwards there's a mirage there so one knowledge brings you to earth and the other knowledge takes you to jannah this is the difference between the two if you understand this, then you'll start to understand the, uh, you know, the mission of the Prophet is to expand the horizons of human knowledge. Right? This Ummah lives only on knowledge. This Ummah lives on Wahi. And this Ummah is the greatest benefactor to all human beings because of this, because of the knowledge we inherit from the Prophet Other civilization, they focus on the mundane, they focus on the secular. They get a few years, maybe 100 years, 200 years, or 300 years of domination, and then they decline, and then they, they go away. This is always on the highest horizon of human existence, where no one will be able to surpass the Prophet in terms of his knowledge. Once you understand this, then you must come to Dar al-Qasim. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanallah bihamdi. Subhanallah bihamdi. Mashallah ilaha illa anda nastakhfiratun atubi. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. We'll do salat when the time comes in.